0: God bless you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Isaiah. We're going to have you turn to two places this morning Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And then I'm going to have you take a look at Luke chapter 2 and verses 8 through 14. This morning I'm preaching to you on the subject God's song. God's song. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Turn over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 through 14. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us this morning and to be able to proclaim your word with clarity of thought and of mind and I ask that your grace would work in me and through me and Lord I do ask that if there is one here this morning that does not know you that this morning would be the day of their salvation that they would experience the true meaning of Christmas Father I ask that you would help us as Christians to be encouraged from your word let's take hope in your word knowing that you are God that will never lie it's always truthful and father I pray that your will would be done here let me not say or do anything that would hinder your will we ask you for this we love you in Jesus name amen thank you, you may be seated we just heard some wonderful music this morning music it's been said that it's food for the soul it's been said that, it's, that music is the language of the soul. It seems to me, and I'm sure that you're probably like me, when you think about music, music seems to be universal. It can be understood and felt and enjoyed by all. It seems like music crosses all boundaries, It crosses the boundaries of culture and society, it crosses the boundaries of ethnicity or any other boundaries that man would set up. It seems like music can cross all boundaries. It also seems when thinking about music that music moves us in a way that many other forms of communication cannot move. As I look in this passage here of Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, it was music by a heavenly host that brought the wonderful announcement that a Savior was born. It says here that a heavenly host joined the angel that made the announcement. When it speaks of the heavenly host, it's not talking about a, a choir. The host was actually the army of God. It is the army of God. And it was the army of God that came with that angel that made the announcement and and sang of this great happening that a Savior was born. What I find interesting is that when you talk talk about music, there are some songs that relate to some people, and then there are other songs that relate more to other, other different types of people. Though music can cross all boundaries, there are certain songs that you'll resonate more with. I hate to say, of certain groups or things that I like because then it puts you in a, a bubble, you know. Oh, you must like all that music. No. But I tell you, there's, there's one choir that I just love. And I want our choir, I really do, I want our choir to be just like them. I love the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I just do. And I'm hoping one day, just one day, that... <laughs> but that music, it resonates with me. Amen. And there might be a different style of music that may resonate more with you than with me. See, not all songs speak to the same group of people, partly because every person's different and there are different messages of song that resonates with different people. But God's song, this song right here, God's song was sung by an angelic host that evening, and it's a song that speaks to all people, all nations, all ethnicities, at all times, in all places. See, the reason that this song resonates with everybody is because it reaches the depths of the soul. See, God's song is the song that resonates with all people at all times because... All people have the same needs. And there are two aspects, or really two needs, that are mentioned in this song that all men have. And it's a song that fills the longing of every soul. I want you to take a look at the, the first need, if you will, in this song. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Number one, you'll see there's praise to God. There is praise to God. It says in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest. We hear that statement a lot during this time of year. You know what that statement is if you sum it up? In that statement we find the desire to worship. Worship. See, there is a universal desire for all men and women, boys and girls, to worship. Think about it. People from all walks of life swoon over rock stars, or some for, uh, for some, they swoon over the people in Hollywood. There are others who would throw themselves at political figures, and as recently as our last president, there were those who would faint in his presence. In short these people were captivated by the mere appearance of an individual that they worshipped their whole lives, they would say, it was changed. But in all reality, all that they were doing was just worshipping mere humans. Why is that? Because all people desire to worship someone, even if that someone is you. I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you two premises. The first premise is all natural and universal desires, all natural and universal desires have objects that exist to satisfy that desire. All natural and universal desires have objects that exist to satisfy that desire. That's my first premise. My second premise is humanity's desire to worship God is natural and universal. There are two kinds of desires. There, uh, there are natural desires there are, and there are particular desires. Particular desires are those desires that only a particular group of people have. For example... Some people love cats. That is definitely a particular desire. (laughs) A natural desire, which everybody has, is to love dogs. (laughs) I had some of the kids say, I'll take cats instead. (laughs) On a serious note, there are natural desires that everybody has. For example, we all have the desire of thirst. We all have the desire of hunger. We all have the desire to be loved. That's a natural and universal desire. Particular desires are something that would only appeal to a specific group of people. They're not universal. They may not even be natural. The Pew Forum on Religion and Social Life has done a survey that found that 92% of Americans believe in God or some some universal spirit. They also found that only 2% of their research group considered themselves atheists. What we find is a natural and universal desire. You say, wait a second, it can't be universal because there was two that claimed to be atheists. The Bible tells us how they got that way. In Romans chapter 1. See, you can have a seared conscience and not desire God any longer. Philosopher Kai Man Kwan made the observation that religious believers are still the overwhelming majority of the world's population, 84%, while non religious people are the minority, 16%. Shortly before he died, legendary uh, uh, um, uh, songwriter and singer Ray Charles gave his final interview in which he admitted that his faith had waned for most of his life and that in particular he never understood all the whooping and hollering that he saw people engaged in in church. But then in his twilight years, he said he now understood that it wasn't God who needed to hear the whooping and the hollering but it was we who needed to do it to praise something or someone greater than ourselves and that doing so is a normal part of the human experience but let's take it a step further these are just men and these are just mere research research analysis but let's take it to the word of God which is true the writer of Ecclesiastes says the one who had it all If you think of somebody in our world today that has it all, you can say, man, that person has it all. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, was much greater even than anyone today. He had it all. He had everything he could ever wish for, and he still didn't have his desires met. There was nothing in this world that could fulfill his desire until he turned to the true worship of God... In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, he sums up life this way. And he says, after I've tried everything, I've I've, I've gone to the lengths of, of hedonism in my own life. There's nothing out there that I have not experienced. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the end of the matter, he says. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Amen. The wisest man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that ever walked upon the face of the earth. That's the conclusion he came to. You say, well, I don't believe that everyone has the desire to worship God. Well, number one, our text tells us that. Number two, Ecclesiastes tells us that. But then my next thought is that if every person did not have a desire to worship that needs to be fulfilled, then why would God specifically command us not to have any other gods before him? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 1, Ye shall make you no idols nor graven images, neither rear up you you a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 8 19 says and it shall be if thou shalt do at all to forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. See if there was not a universal desire to worship someone or something God would have never put that in his word. It would have never been written. What does it mean to worship to praise God. It means that we're giving them the glory. To worship something or someone, it means that you're giving them glory. Then my next question is, what does it mean to give glory? Well, I guess I could say, more specifically, what does Scripture mean when it speaks to people giving glory to God? Well, Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines the act of giving glory to someone as the worshipful praise, honor, and thanksgiving. I think that's a good definition, but I don't think it's good enough. The Holman Bible Dictionary says this way. It gives us a bit of help on this, a fuller meaning of what it means to give glory. To give glory is to praise, to recognize here. Now listen, to recognize the importance of another, the weight the other carries in the community. Go back to our text, Luke 2.14. It says, the weight the other carries in the community. The Bible says, glory to God in the highest. There is no other community, if you will, higher than that. It's the highest. What is he saying? He's saying the community, of all that exists, the highest, God is to receive glory. But how can we experience this glory? How, how can we give glory to God? Well, friends, you only experience the glory of God by knowing Jesus. That's right. The New Testament tells us the glory of God is fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1, three, the Bible says this, Who, being in the brightness of his glory and expressed the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had in himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. See, it's only through having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that one can begin to experience the glory of God. But wait a second, I thought we were talking about worship and now your glory. Well, listen, what I mean by experiencing the glory of God is to fulfill your natural desire to worship. Because when you are glorifying God, what does it mean to glory? To glorify or to worship means to glorify. So they, they, they end up being the same coin with two different sides. See. To enjoy the fullness of being fulfilled with the glory of God. Experiencing the glory of God, it's to fulfill your natural desire to worship. It's being fulfilled with someone that is greater than you. The natural desire of worship was placed there by God himself. And now listen, it can only be satisfied by God himself. Why do you think the world is trying everything today? They're trying this, that, and the other thing. You line it up. They're looking for it in another person. Let me tell you, Christian friend, listen, your mate cannot fulfill this desire in you. They were not created to fulfill that desire in you. Only God can fulfill that desire in you. Amen. By the way, mama, grandma, your grandkids, though you worship them, cannot fulfill that desire. Only God can fulfill that desire. Sir, your job cannot fulfill that desire. Your promotion your wealth. Nothing can fulfill that desire. Why, why do people say, uh, rich people, they've been, it's been quoted on their deathbed, how much is enough money? One, one was recorded by saying, just one dollar more. If money fulfilled, then... If relationships filled, then... You say, well, how can I experience this desire to have this fulfilled in my life? The desire of worshiping God can only satisfy. How can that happen in my life? You can only have this happen in your life by first recognizing that Jesus Christ is the only way. You've got to recognize that you're a sinner. Oh, that's easy for you to say, preacher. You're standing up there, holier than thou. No, I'm a sinner. Matter of fact, out of all of you, I'm probably, as Paul says, the chiefest of sinners. So it's not that I place myself on a pedestal. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. There's nothing that I can do. My good deeds will never outweigh my bad deeds. Why? Because God's already proclaimed that. He has told us very specifically that your good deeds are as filthy, dirty, disgusting rags. That's what he says. We've got to accept the fact that that baby lying in the manger came for a purpose. When you accept the fact that you're a sinner, and you accept the fact that that baby in a manger came for a purpose to destroy sin and the works of the devil in order that you may be saved from in eternity in hell. You must accept that first. But then you've got to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. See, you'll never experience the glory of God, being able to have that desire fulfilled, if you don't go through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the entrance. In the beginning, experience the glory of God. But then what about the believer here today as we finish up? We're not only to experience the glory of God, but we're to give God glory. What's the text say? Glory to God in the highest. Jesus is the best example. He's the best example to show us how to give glory to God. Amen. Jesus glorified God in his humanity by obeying his Father in all things, even dying on the cross. John chapter 17 and verse 4, the Bible says, I have glorified thee, Jesus is speaking here, I have glorified thee on earth. Now listen folks, you might say, well, I don't know if I believe that this is true. You can look in history and you can find that there was a man Born in, uh, in Galilee, in a Nazareth named Jesus, it's a historical fact these are his words. Somebody recorded his words, okay I have glorified thee on earth, Jesus speaking. who is he talking about? he's talking about his father in heaven. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do and now, O Father, glorify thou me uh, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Amen. The Bible also states that the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life is how to glorify God. So how can I, you say, well, pastor, how can I, I've already experienced the glory of God and knowing Jesus Christ, and I know that he can can fulfill that desire, but then how do I glorify God? You glorify God first, Christian friend, by being obedient unto the Father. Do what the Father says. Hey, think about it. When you have kids, what is the best thing that they can do? to honor you, to glory in you. It's not, I mean, they might give you a nice present or something, that's nice. But man, when you hear that your kid had the opportunity to do wrong or to stand up in the midst of peer pressure and do right, I'm going to tell you right now, you can take all the money that you have and keep it. I'd rather have my kids do right in the face of peer pressure and stand up for what's right. Man, that just throws my heart. Hey, they're getting it, right? That's what you say. Yeah, you're excited that they're doing what's right. That's great. I'm so, what do you say? I'm so proud of you. So for us as believers, the way that we can glory Glory, God, glorify God is by being obedient. Take a look at John chapter 14 and verse 13. He talks about that the Holy Spirit's work in one's life can glorify God. John 14 13, the Bible says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16, 14, He shall glorify me, for He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. For those of you who know Christ this morning, you've experienced the glory of God, and we talk about that at Christmas time with the birth of this baby we call Jesus. But He just wasn't a baby that came into the world, He just was not a historical figure that came into the world. He just was not a good prophet that came into the world. He just was not a wise teacher that came into the world. Listen, friend. God didn't send a judge to rule us. He didn't send a philosopher to try and convince us. He didn't send an entertainer to excite us. He sent us His Son, a Savior, to save us. And we can glorify God by living a life of obedience to God's Word, by living a life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Glory to God in the highest. We don't have time for the second verse of the song this morning. The kids, you guys have really been good. You really have. I know I'm not as exciting and as fun as your teachers downstairs but you've been really good. But this morning, everybody has the desire to worship. You might not recognize it as worship. You might just say, oh, these are the things that I just like. But your whole world is wrapped up in it. It's worship. Let me ask you, Is there anybody here this morning that would say I've never ever experienced that desire being fulfilled. You say I don't know if I were to die right now that I'd spend eternity with the Lord. I don't know if Jesus my Savior say well I I was baptized when I was a child. I've taken Holy Communion. I I, I do the rosary and I I confess my sins and those type of things and I'm, I'm so thankful that you have some religious background I'm thankful for that I'm thankful that you're probably a moral person because of that and I'm grateful for that but those your religiosity and your morals are not going to get you into heaven neither will mine so guess what you and I were in the same boat but I jumped out of that boat and I got in another boat that boat was sinking and I saw SS Savior coming by and there was a lifeline thrown out, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. And I jumped out of that boat, and I grabbed onto that lifeline, and God the Father pulled me in. Amen. Yes. I've had that desire fulfilled to worship. How about you? Christian friend this morning, would your friends and your, your neighbors and, and your, your family members and your coworkers be able to say, man, that person glorifies God in their life? Man, they're serious about their Christian life. Seems like all that they ever do is follow the Bible. Man, they don't skirt on anything. There'd be people in your life that would say they glorify God.